while they were waiting for Moses, they thought he was gone, so they made a, a golden calf, which did not please the Lord. And so um, the aftermath of that, we see uh, in terms of relationship, take place in chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let, let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then... I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, in the welcome part of the baptism liturgy, 
the pastor said this, word and sacrament bring you the joy of Christ's presence in your midst. Word and sacraments bring you the joy of Christ's very presence in your midst. Baptism is an act of Christ. Baptism is is not our act of faith, bringing our child here because we believe. Baptism is an act of Christ coming down to us and claiming this baby as one of his own. Christ is, is present with us. We don't know how. It's just ordinary water. And yet, there is Christ. And last week, we had the Lord's Supper. And we believe that in the Lord's Supper, in the very common elements of, of juice and bread, we, we see and receive Christ. Christ is present in the sacrament, in all his loving, gracious, and hospitable embrace. Christ is present in the word. In, in the very reading of his word, Christ is there. And in the preaching of the word, this is, this is, this is what we believe. Did you, did you experience that? Did you see something of the glory of God in the simple act of applying water to the brow of, of a baby boy? Do you experience it when we have communion? Do you, ex- you experience when we hear and read and preach from the Word? How does God make Himself known to us? Where do we see His glory? How can we know that God is with us, using us at, li- at work in our lives? Well, we find God here in these ways. God also makes Himself known in the glories of nature. I guess I should turn this on. There we go. There we go. In the glories of nature, the often quoted verse from Elizabeth Barrett Browning comes to mind, earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around, sit round and pluck blackberries. God's glory is in his world, and we see it. We find God there. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't see that or celebrate that. We live in a culture, a secular culture, that believes that the only thing you can know is what you can see and what you can touch and what you can taste and what you can verify by replicating once again and again and again. We live in a secular culture that as Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor says, lives in the imminent frame, which means that everything in the world is part of a natural order, understandable without any reference to anything outside of it. And as a matter of causal relationships, this causes that, causes that, and that's the end of it. That view's closed to the transcendent, closed to God's glory, A blackberry bush is a blackberry bush, and let's just sit around and pick the blackberries. Yet the Bible and the Spirit has us see the world in the life-nurturing, transcendent frame. It invites us into a world with God in it, with God's presence, with God's glory, with God's beauty and purpose that infuses everything. What a joy to experience something of God's presence in the world 
that you know that you are loved by something beyond what you can see and touch and taste and feel. To those who have the eyes to see and the spirit to intuit the glorious presence of God in the world, how can we thrive in the world without that? The story of, of Moses on the Mount Sinai is a story that, cra- that has Moses crave God's presence, crave God's glory. If I don't have that, I will not go any further. Our passage this morning is, takes us to the top of Mount Sinai, to the place where God's glory shone so brightly God revealed himself to them in leading them out of, he had already done that by leading them out of slavery. He took them through the the Red Sea with the parting of the ocean and and destroying Pharaoh and and taking them through the wilderness where, where people would usually go to die. But with God, they lived and they kept on living and, and carried through the deadly desert. They made it to Sinai. And at Sinai, God was ready to deepen the relationship And yet, just before this passage, Exodus 32 happened, with the the golden calf, when Israel sought to define God's glory in ways they understood, ways they could manage, look, there's your God right there. Oh, I can see it. I'll bow down to it now. In response, God was about ready to end the relationship before it had really even begun. God said, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought, you and the people you brought out of Egypt. God's not even claiming them. He's not even saying, hey, these are my people. You and, and those people you brought up. He's, he's, he's starting to distance himself here. And go up to the land. I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying I will give it to your descendants. I will. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. But I will not go with you. I'll send an angel. I'll send a heavenly general of my host. He'll do the work. He'll, he'll, he'll you know, clear a path for you. I'll fulfill my promise to Abraham. I'll give you the land, but my presence will not go with you. You'll get what you want, but you won't have me. And to the people of Israel, they rightly recognize this and interpret this as devastating news. When they heard it, they mourned. This was an an unraveling of the covenant God had made. As as Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it so well, There it is. To be, oh, gone. There we go. To be given every other blessing is of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of Canaan? What is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God was not with them? They saw that the realization of the presence of God, having his fellowship and company, was infinitely more important than everything else. I will not go with you. And they are devastated. If God chose not to go with his people by dwelling among them, it would be useless to go a foot further. It would be useless to go to the promised land. The goal here is not just milk and honey. It's not just 
you know, being rich. It's, just, it's not just having stuff, but it's to have a holy land where God would dwell with his people. Imagine life without that cloud, of, uh, that cloud and that pillar of fire. Imagine life without the tabernacle to guide them. Imagine life in Israel, in that land of, of promise, without a temple on Mount Zion where the glory of God would shine. What if we would not have the glorious presence of God with us? On the other hand, I, I wonder if there might be some people among those people going, well, this might not be a bad deal. Let's think about this as an opportunity we get the promised land, but without the complication of God's promise. Sort of like getting all the blessings of Christian faith, rescue from hell, a community of people throughout, to, to go through life with, a, a purpose in life, with all, without all the demands that, that Jesus comes along and makes of us, that the presence of God brings. We don't want the inconvenience of a holy God who calls us to a different kind of life than that of our secular culture. And it makes you wonder today, are we, too, are we satisfied with too little of God? Are we satisfied with God's blessings and not God himself? Do we even know that we have the one thing we need the one thing that makes it all worthwhile, the one thing that reframes everything else, the very presence of God, and are we willing to go forward if we don't have it? The people of Israel know, yeah, we can't go anywhere. We're, we're, we're sunk. We're, we, there's, there's nothing in this for us. They know that there's nothing more important than the presence of God. The ground-up ashes of that golden calf are still sitting in their stomachs. And the trauma of their misguided attempt at defining God's presence was just behind them. Yet they knew enough to mourn their situation. If they accepted this plan, they would show that they're more interested in God's blessing than God himself. And yet they knew enough, we want a relationship with this God. They still had a genuine heart for God himself. What point would be a world without God in it? And so Moses comes up to the stage. And Moses, the mediator, the one who stands between God and his people, saying, God, you know, are you sure you want that? And he tells the people, are you sure you want to do that? He stands in the gap between and he describes how important God's presence is. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How else will, or what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Nothing else matters, God. If God is not with them, there's no sense of going. Just stop the whole project right here. Let us die at Sinai. Moses isn't satisfied with an angel who will go up before them and fight their battles. It sounds a bit, God, it sounds a bit like you're calling this one in. You got to do more than that for us. You know, as if God said, yeah, I'll send an angel and get you to the promised land, but that's it. That's not good enough, God. 
And Moses isn't satisfied with God pulling out of the relationship with his people. Yes, God, your presence is dangerous. God could very well destroy them all if God goes with them. God isn't our buddy. God isn't some cosmic Amazon you contact and get stuff from. Hebrews 10 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is holy and we are not. And yet God has chosen Israel. And he said, you took those people out of Israel. You brought them here. They are your people. You can't, at one point God says, Moses, I'll bless you. I'll just give my blessing to you and you and your little family. You go and I'll work with you. Kind of like Noah that way. Just restart. Moses says, uh-uh, not going to work. You can't, you can't do that. I know you, you are dangerous. And yet you have chosen Israel, these people, to find a way to live with an unholy people. And since the fall into sin, God's been finding ways for people to live in his presence and not be destroyed. That's the whole story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the rest of the Bible. How can a holy God live with, a, live with an unholy people? If I go with you, I could destroy you. And yet Moses knows, and God, he reminds God that these are his people. God chose them to be in a relationship. Yes, you could destroy them, but you won't. You will find a way. You are compassionate. You are merciful. We know you're not safe, but you're good, and you will have compassion, and you will find a way. And Moses isn't satisfied to lead God's people without authorization from God. God's presence means he has God's pleasure, and these people have God's pleasure. It means that Moses has authority that comes from God. Where else would Moses get the authority to lead the people through the wilderness? How else would he be able to show signs and wonders? Would he be able to bring water from a rock with just an angel leading them? How else will they know? And Moses isn't satisfied that the people would fulfill their mission in this world without the presence of God. It means that these people are different than the other nations. The other nations had many gods who were bound to the borders of, of their nations. And they would pray to these gods, and as soon as they step over a border, they'd have to pray to another god, because that's the god of that land. But these are, god, these are people bound up with the one true god who's not bound with any national borders. This is the god of all, who has revealed himself through the people Israel, calling people back to himself through them, blessing the world through them. If God wasn't with them, how could they be any different than any other nation? What are you planning to do, God? And Moses wasn't satisfied until he had God himself with them. He isn't satisfied until they're in relationship, no matter how feisty or how tenuous that relationship is. There's no better life than having God with you. And the good news in this passage is that God's presence did go with Israel. Moses the mediator worked things out so that God, it, it, he said, yeah, okay, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. I will take you to the promised land. God did not bail in this relationship. God did not just go with Moses and his own family. God went with his people, his stiff-necked, needy, sinful people, and it wasn't easy. 
and it didn't go so well all the time, and, and the people grumbled in the desert, and God sent waves of, you know, there was this relationship back and forth, come on, you people, work with me, and, and it was hard, it was messy. Life with God doesn't always lead to the life we imagined for ourselves, but it gives us the life we need. And with God's presence, we have the one thing that makes life pr- with, gives us purpose and, and makes it worthwhile and joyful. And to top things off, Moses stands there with God. He says, okay, God, I got you now. I want one more thing. Show me your glory. Show me your very self. Show me your being. And amazingly, God said, yes. Yes, you can see me, but you can only see my glory as it passes by. Your face you cannot see. And of all the billions of people who ever walked this earth, it was Moses who got to see this. It was Moses who got to see so much of God that his face physically shone so brightly he had to wear a veil. He got to see God's glory. He got to see God. And the the people got to see God through him and through the fire and the cloud as he led them through the wilderness. Can we take another step into this world without God's presence? Are we satisfied with lesser things? The good news of the Bible is, God, is that God is still with us. His presence is here. And we started out this service with John 1 on our lips, where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Exodus 33 is pointing us to Jesus, in whom all of all the glory of God shone so brightly. He revealed that God had not left us nor forsaken us. He revealed the compassionate heart of God, the merciful heart of God. God had entered the world through him to bring us back into a relationship with him. And near the end of his life, Jesus went to another mountain, and suddenly he was transfigured and became radiant with glory. As his disciple Peter, who was there, said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we we were with him on the sacred mountain. Jesus is God in all his glory. You know, sometimes we wonder. Sometimes... We go into these crises of faith. Where's God? We say, where's God? When someone I loved died unexpectedly. Where's God? When people are suffering so needlessly. God, you are all powerful. You can do things. Where's God when I need guidance on which path to take? Well, the good news is God is always present with us. The good news is that wherever two or three are gathered in Christ's name, there he is. The good news is that God is near. God is always with us in the person of Jesus and where we see his love being expressed in community, where where we see his people being called out and and pushed out into, into mission, into the world. 
where we see his love being lived out among people who care for each other, where we hear his word, where we receive his sacraments, where, we, where his name is worshipped. The church is called Christ's glory because he delights to, manif- to manifest himself through us, through his church. And we are the light of the world, the city on a hill. Among these people, he will say to us what he said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So today we can find God in the only one who revealed his glory, in Jesus. We are followers of Christ, and our children have a relationship with the very one who fills the earth and heavens with his glory. It's our relationship with Christ that sets us apart, and it's our relationship to Christ that will connect us to heaven, where one day we will behold him face to face. And so our calling today is this. Do not go another step into this life until you know that this Christ is with you. Amen. Let us pray. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the one God over all. You are a mystery of love and unity at the center of all there is. In you is perfect unity, joy, and peace. May we see your glory in the world, in Jesus, in your word and sacraments, in your church. May we never be satisfied without your presence with us. May your spirit guide us, comfort us, and keep us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.